Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. As we begin today, I just need to do a quick survey with you. Pretty simple survey. And that is this. So I'll ask you for a show of hands in a minute on this. But who is here today that has... I wasn't quite done with the question, Scott. (laughs) Who is here today that has no problems? You know, you have no problem, nothing from your past that creates you difficulties today. Nothing going on in your life today that's, that's troublesome. Nothing that you can see coming in the future that's going to cause you any problems, all right? So who in here, we, we want to interview you. Who in here today has no problems? Okay, that's good. <laughs> so that means that what we are going to consider today is for you. It's for me. It really, really matters. So we're going to look at a story in John chapter 5 and talk about powerful prescriptions for people with problems. That's who? Us. It's me. It's you. But So let's do this. Let's start. We're going to watch the story unfold here, and then we'll open up the Bible and work our way through it, okay? All right. So um, let's just jump in the Bible, okay? John chapter 5 where this story is found. By the way, there are so many good resources like that today you can find online that help you visualize things and think about what's going on in the Bible. We use some of that on uh, Christmas Eve here as well. Really encouraging. All right, so John chapter 5, and the first, this, this part of the story we're going to look at, John includes in his gospel, probably for multiple reasons, some of which we're going to look at today. Uh, but part of this is that we can see that uh, the conflict between Jesus and the Jewish religious leaders is being set up. Because as we saw, right, wait, you're not supposed to carry that on the Sabbath. Well, somebody told me, well, who told you to? So see, it's setting that up, okay? That's not going to be our focus here today. Let's begin in verse number one. We're going to be talking about powerful prescriptions for people with problems. It says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. Bethesda means house of kindness. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now, that's kind of a, uh, we go, what? <laughs> right? What's this about? And uh, the Bible scholars are mixed on what's, the, what's going on here. Uh, but let me just tell you how, uh, who is it that we are worshiping? Who? God, and then his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And what did the Lord Jesus Christ do? He said, I am going to die, and I am going to what? Rise. And then he what? He did it. 
And the one who did it, who overcame death, I mean, I've never known anybody else to do that. You've never known anybody else who could do that, but Jesus did it, right? He rose from the dead, just as he had uh, said that he would. And this one who rose from the dead told his followers, including John, that you will remember what you need to remember. The Holy Spirit will bring to your memory the things that you need to remember to tell the stories about me and to tell people about me, okay? And so when John writes this here in verse number three, for an angel went down at a certain time into the pool, I'm just, I'm choosing to believe that when Jesus told John he would remember that John did remember. And the Holy Spirit enabled him to, okay? I mean, is this something that's too hard for God? Is it? And, and would this be showing kindness? House of kindness, Bethesda? Yeah, all right. So we're going to take this at face value. And it's really not the point of the story. Uh, so we see in verse 3, And these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. They wanted to be in, get in and get healed. Verse 5. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? And we'll continue with the story in a minute. The first thing I want you to see here is this. How many people are here? A great multitude, right? All sorts of them. But then we see in verse number five that there was a certain man there as well, a specific man. And verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there, and he knew, he knew about him. So let's think about this in our lives today. We've already already acknowledged that we have problems, right? We all have things that we got to deal with um, in our lives and trying to figure out how do we do that as believers? How do we do this in a way that honors the Lord, you know? Do this the way God says that we ought to with the right. How do we do all of this? And so we, we have this, but here's the deal. Uh, out of all of these people that are in this place, they all have problems, they all have needs. But Jesus sees this one, and somehow he knows about him. And he, he I don't think the word care is strong enough, but he cares enough about this man to say, do you want to be well? Do you need help with this problem? And so here's, when I talk about these prescriptions today, what we're going to talk about is, is some truths that we need to embrace. We need to let shape our thinking, to even to shape our hearts and how we approach life. And so here's the first truth that I see in this story, the first prescription that we need to nail down. And that's that the Lord knows me and loves me in spite of my mess. Go ahead and put that up if you would, Stephen. The Lord knows me and loves me in spite of my mess. Uh, when you think about it, how, how many billions of people are there in the world? And yet the Lord knows me. Out of all the multitudes, he knows me. And he knows what my problems are. And he still loves me in spite of all those problems. These messes, 
Let's talk about our messes for just a little bit here. When we talk about messes in our lives, you know, these may be messes that we have caused ourselves. That's anybody here besides me ever caused any of your own messes? You know, all right. It may be that a lot of your mess is the result of things that you didn't choose, things that happened to you, things that happened around you that you've had, and, and, but it's created this huge mess. It's created all these problems in your life. But I would say even if, if, if the mess has not been caused by you, you have made it messier. I mean, I know myself when I, you know, the problems that I face, there are times when I believe things that aren't true and I think something's going to make this better. It's going to make me feel better. Uh, so, and I tend to make the mess messier. Anyone besides me ever make messes messier? Yeah. Okay, so we, we tend to uh, do that. And so these messes, you know, we have done them or we've made our messes messier. And so the kind of messes we have, I, I think about this as fresh in, in memory. How many of you have ever struggled to untangle a ball of Christmas lights? All right? And you don't know how, you know, because you, you put it away last year, what? All neat and tidy. And somehow over the year, it got what? You pull it out and it's all tangled. What's up with that? I don't know. Something happens, you know, when you're not looking. Anyway, so you got this huge mess and so you're trying to pull it out. Have you ever then pulled and then all of a sudden you realize that was the wrong thing to do? Now it's worse. Well, see, this is what we do in our lives with our messes. You know, things that may not be our fault at all, but then we try to fix it on our own, do what comes natural to us, and we make the mess worse. And so we are stuck with that. Uh, kinds of mess. We have relational messes. You know, re our relationships with people. Sometimes the people who matter most with us are the most messy. Uh, we have financial messes, sin messes, mistake messes, wasted years messes. Wasted opportunities, messes, uh, and you name it, messes, right? All of these messes in our lives. And yet, nonetheless, the Lord knows us and what? Loves us in spite of our messes. I think of the song, it's just a, such a great song that we sing once in a while around here, How Deep the Father's Love. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that He would give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. Right? That's how much He loves us. I mean, I think the reality is when you run into somebody in life and you know so and, and they're the kind of person that has big messes in their lives, do you say, oh joy, I want to hang around with this person? <laughs> Typically, no, we don't like everybody's messes. But the Lord knows us and he stepped into our lives and, and of course he, he died for us. He demonstrated his love to us in that way. But know this. Do you see how this is, this is so important? Because otherwise, you know, you'd be like this man 38 years he's been with this problem, unable to solve it, and we're going to see he's, kind of, he's basically given up hope. But if you 
You know that God knows you and he sees everything that's in your life and he's going on. You know that he loves you and he, he comes and says, do you want to get better? He keeps coming, by the way. He keeps coming and says, do you want to get better? What a blessing it is to know that, isn't it? That God is not giving up on you. Can I say that again? God is not giving up on you. He's not giving up on that person that you're real concerned. He isn't. He's there. He's ready to help because he knows us and he loves us. All right, let's continue the story here. So verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Now, that, that seems kind of like a funny question to ask, doesn't it? I mean... Wouldn't you think he wanted to be made well? And, and what's interesting is this man doesn't directly answer the question. But he answers in a way that reveals that, well, yes, he would like to be well, but that there's no hope of being well. So let's read on. Verse 7, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming... Another steps down before me. So he doesn't say, uh, yeah, I want to be healed, but it's, yeah, I would like to be healed, but I can't be healed. Can't happen. Okay? Because uh, he can't heal himself. Verse number 35, he's had this infirmity 38 years. In verse 7, he says, not only can I fix it, there's nobody else can fix it for me. By the way, and that's a lot of truth in your problems. Nobody else can fix those problems for you. I mean, as far as human beings go. Someone can help you, but they can't fix the problems that most need to be fixed. Only God can. But so here's what I want you to see. So here he is. He says, I have no way. There's no way to do this. And it's important that, that we get to this, and we need to learn to live this way. Here's the point. I desperately need the Lord to work in my life. Go ahead and go, yeah. I desperately need the Lord to work in my life. I, how do I need him? Desperately. Now, now, you may not feel desperate here today. You may be saying, well, life's kind of going pretty good. But you need to understand something, that we are always desperately in need of the Lord's working in our lives. We need the Lord desperately when life is falling apart. Now, we get that, don't we, in a hurry. But we need him when life seems to be going pretty well as well. Because we understand that our very next breath is in God's hands, isn't it? The opportunities that we have are in God's hands. The things that we're doing, the way we're living, it's all, I mean, it's, it's all there in God's hands. And so we are in desperate need. We desperately need the Lord to work in our lives. Uh, there are things in our lives that we will never overcome on our own. Okay, just is. Now, if, it, if, you, if you hadn't learned how to tie your shoe, you might be able to overcome that one on your own. But the things that matter, the issues of the heart, the issues of relationships, the issues of purpose in life, all of these kinds of issues, you desperately need the Lord to work in your life. Do you remember what Jesus said in John chapter 15? He says, I am the vine, you are the branches, right? You can't bear fruit, you know, without me. He says, without me, you can do only a few things. 
Now, some of you don't know what this is. But is that what it says, those of you who know? No, it isn't. Without me, you can do nothing. And I think he's talking about nothing. He means nothing of eternal significance. Nothing that's going to please the Lord. Nothing that's going to make uh, uh, the kind of difference that God wants to make. Nothing. No thing. And we need to settle that. And because of that, we need him, don't we? We need him. You know, there are no grapes if there's no branch connected to a vine. Right? We get that. Jesus says, I am the vine, we are the branches. And how do we end up with fruit in our lives? How do we end up with good fruit in our lives? By staying connected to the vine. And so we need to recognize our need of him. And by the way, this is really where the, the gospel comes in to start with, doesn't it? Because the biggest and most eternally significant problem that we all face is that we are all born with a nature that's bent towards sin, a nature that wants to do our own thing. Uh, even if it's God, it tells us something different. We want to do our own thing, and we have all done our own thing. We've all, the Bible calls it, sinned against a holy God. And so we don't have a relationship with God. We can believe that he exists, but we don't have a personal relationship with him because our sin is in the way. And if we die in that condition, we will pay the penalty for sin forever in hell. But God loved us so much that he sent his only son into the world to die on the cross, paying the penalty in full for our sins, rising again from the dead. And if, see, this is where we, to get saved, you really need to come to the place where you realize you are in desperate need of a savior. Right? So this is where the gospel comes in. Oh God, I... I can see that I've sinned. I've blown it. I need you. I cannot fix this problem on my own. I need to receive your son as Savior and the forgiveness that's there. And when we do that, then he addresses the problem when we receive eternal life. So the gospel, this starts with the gospel. I desperately need the Lord to work in my life. But here, here's a question for you. If you really believe this, if you really believe that you desperately need the Lord in your life, to work in your life, not just in it, but work in your life, what would you do differently? Now think about that. If you were to leave here today and you're pondering this and you go to bed pondering this tonight and you think, okay, God, and, and you realize that it's, it's the rest of the day too, too, but I'm just saying we have this, we go to bed tonight, we wake up tomorrow and say, okay, I desperately need the Lord to work in my life. What will you do different tomorrow than you did today or yesterday or the day before? Can you think of anything? Would you be in his word more? Would you talk with him more? Would you reevaluate your priorities? Would you look and say, what am I spending my time on? How am I trying to deal with my problems? All those kinds of things. We would say, uh, I got to do things differently because I need him. By the way, this is why I think there, there are plenty of people who aren't excited about being Christians or come, becoming Christians because you say, I'm in trouble, right? I need you, God, to work in my life. And then one other thought on this. If we don't get this truth that, that we desperately need the Lord to work in our lives, you know what happens with those problems? They get wasted. 
all those problems that come into our lives and we deal with them, if we don't in desperation turn to the Lord and, and seek His working in our lives, we go through those problems on our own and all the pain and suffering and difficulties and hardships that come from it, all wasted. Who wants to waste it? <laughs> but if we will turn to the Lord, He will use it in our lives. He will use it for sure. When I was uh, playing football as a young man growing up, started playing in the sixth grade, and then the next year moved up to a, a different team, seventh and eighth grade, and those coaches were uh, really good coaches. But man, back in the day, I mean, we had this, he was a Kansas City policeman, and he was like 6'6 and 300 pounds, you know, and we're seventh and eighth graders, and he's yelling out there, I want to see some blood! Now, some of you think it's funny. Some of you are horrified, okay? But um, practices were just brutal. I mean, preparing us for the games and conditioning, all this kind of stuff. And at, I, I was going to practice, and on the way, to, I dreaded it. I dreaded going to practice. I um, would get sick to my stomach, time or two that I got out of the car when I arrived at practice and threw up. I went to practice. I was tied in knots over this. This is a huge problem in my life. I didn't know what to do with it. So between my seventh and eighth grade years, I said, I'm not going back. Uh, and um, a few of you really appreciate it. I said, I'm, I'm going to play soccer. And I thought that would be funny, but uh, <laughs> back in the day it was. So, uh, but I finally decided, no, I'm going to go back to play football, and I, I survived another year. And then the next four years of high school, I loved football, excelled at it, uh, became honorable mention all-conference, Kansas City, my senior year. Um, but the point is this, if I had given up, walked away, all of that would have been wasted, wouldn't it? You see, but when we say, God, I need you, because we have choices. Am I going to walk away with this? I'm going to fix it. Am I just going to give up? Or am I going to say, no, God, I need you to work in my life? And if you don't say, God, I need you to work in my life, then all of that will be wasted. Don't waste it. Okay? All right, let's look back at our story again here. So, he says, you know, hey, while I'm trying to get in there, somebody else comes. Verse 8, Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. All right, so Jesus tells him three, three things. And by the way, in the Greek language, is this, uh, the Gospels were written in that language, the Holy Spirit, guarded. it just makes it very clear that these words, the form that they're in, get up, take up your bed, and walk. They are all in the imperatives. Who knows what an imperative is? What is it? It's a command. That's right. It's do this. It is a command. You are to get, get up. Get up. Well, I haven't been able to get up for 38 years. What are you talking about? I have all these things. I have this infirmity. I have nobody to help me. And you're saying get up. Pick up my mat. Well, I haven't been able to do that. Pick up my bed, this, this mat that I lay on. I haven't been able to pick that up and carry that. 
38 years, right? I, I'm not able to, and I have nobody, you know, it can't happen. Walk. Jesus commands him all three of these things. If humanly speaking, is there any way he can do this? No. But what does he do? He what? He gets up, picks up his mat, and walks. Now, this, this is another prescription that's really, really important for us to believe and live by, and this is it. I can do what the Lord says. Go ahead and go to that, Stephen, if you would. I can do what the Lord says. Now, if I ask you, can you do what the Lord says, you know, you'd say, well, yeah, sure I can, right? Okay, so how about then in this situation in your life? Here's what's going on in your life. Well, yeah, I know the Lord says that, but... Anybody in here ever done that? This, it's, we can do what the Lord says. If he says something in his word that we're supposed to do, we can do it. Now, this is important to understand because was this man physically able to do this on his own? No. Was uh, there anybody else that could get it and make it happen for him? There's nobody to get me there right now. But when Jesus said it, then he was able to do it. Okay, this is a huge, huge point for us to understand. You know, no matter what your experience has taught you, you can do what the Lord says. I mean, we, we deal with these kinds of things all the time. Um, but let me say this, inability is not an excuse because God enables you to do what he commands you to do. God's command provides ability. And I think of it like this. Any of you, because once again, it's fresh in my mind from Christmas, any of you over any of your years in Christmas had presents for kids or grandkids, and, and they open up their present and they bring it to you to open it, and you read it, and all of a sudden you realize this thing needs batteries. Right? Batteries not included. Oh no. And you try to see if you can find batteries. And you didn't buy batteries, so you don't have the batteries. So you go around thinking, what could I take batteries out of at the moment to make this work? Right? No, batteries not included. It won't work. But what I want to say to you is this. When God gives us a command, when he tells us to do something in his word or impresses upon us, you know, as a result of his word, batteries are included. Okay? It can, we can do this. We are able to do it. So this means that when, when someone is, a, a man is struggling and saying, I know I'm supposed to love my wife sacrificially. I know I'm supposed to love her like Christ loved the church. I know I am supposed to help her to feel, to nurture her and to help her to feel cherished. I know I'm supposed to do these things. But you don't understand. She, whatever. And so what do we do? See, we, we believe that. But it, it, let me just go back to my Missouri world roots. It ain't true. You can do it. You know, the wife who says, well, I would love to respect my husband, but you don't know my husband. He's not respectable. I can't do that. Well, yes, you can. And if you think you can't, then something needs to be adjusted. Okay? And, and you guys have heard me say it many times, but the truth needs to go on the right side of the butt, doesn't it? 
For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, okay, here's what I'm talking about. We have a sentence, and here's the first part of the sentence, and then we say the word but, and then we say the rest of the sentence, okay? Now, as you're looking, yeah, I want to make sure I have this right, okay? So you're saying this, and what we tend to say is, well, I know God says that I am supposed to do this, but, and then we have our reasons why we don't believe we can do it. What we need to do is swap those sides and put what God says is true on the right side of the butt. And we say, well, I have all these things that make it difficult to do what God says, but I can do what the Lord says. Do you see how that changes your thinking about things? Hugely. Okay? And so we need to believe this. I can do what the Lord says. And by the way, doing what the Lord says provides a twofold kind of solution for you in your problems. The first one is this, is that if there's any hope to solve this problem, if there's any hope for the problem to get better, you need to do what the Lord says. Okay? That makes sense? All right. Now, if God in his sovereign, gracious Loving purposes does not remove the problem. The only way you can continue living with that problem in a profitable way is to do what the Lord says. I remember I've, I've had, over the years, I had one man had this conversation with, one woman I had conversation with, both of them many years ago, not married to each other, different times. Uh, but I remember it happened first with the woman, and she's talking to me. I've had this problem. My husband, I, you know, he, he, I think he wants to leave and, and all this kind of stuff. And so we were talking. I said, well, here's, here's what you need to do. And we opened the Word, and we said, here's what God says about how you need to relate with your husband. And she said, okay, so if I do this, then he's going to change and not go, right? I said, no, uh, I don't know that. Because that's his choice, isn't it? Okay, but your only hope for him choosing to stay is for you to do what God has told you to do. And here's the thing. If he doesn't turn around and come back, the only way you're going to be able to go through this and make it is by doing what God tells you to do. Do you see how that works? So it is a solution either way. And let me say this, that, that once you, you get this and understand this, that I can do what the Lord says... It breaks the chains of your problem. It breaks the chains of your problem. See, this man, as we read about him, he, he was still in, in chains, wasn't he? I can't do this myself, and there's nobody else can do it for me. Here I am. You know? And so we're that way in our lives. I, here I am with this problem, and I can't fix it, and nobody else can fix it, and here I am. But when you finally say, wait a minute, I can do, I really can do what the Lord says, the chains are broken. Doesn't mean the problem's gone away. But the chain is now broken because you can begin to do things that are going to impact this situation. All right? I can do what the Lord says. So let's continue reading here. The end of verse 9, it says, And that day was the Sabbath. We already talked about this is setting up this whole confrontation with the religious leaders of his day. And that day was a Sabbath. Verse 10, The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. 
it is not lawful for you to carry your bed. This is part of their regulations of what you could do or couldn't do on the Sabbath and all the rules they had added to what the Word of God says. But so you can't do that. It's not, it goes against the law of Moses here. Verse 11, he answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Um, I kind of imagine this guy, you know, here he is, he's carrying his mat, and, and we don't know if he's kind of looking for Jesus or what, but he's carrying his, his, this, what they call his bed, his mat. And uh, what just happened to him? 38 years I haven't been able to walk. Here I am walking. I'm doing this, okay? G told me to pick up my man. And they say, hey, you can't do that. And he thinks for a moment, hmm. The one who told, the one who just healed me, <laughs> told me to do this. Hey, look, the guy who healed me told me to do this. <laughs> you take it up with him, right? And so, um, but I want you to see that there's, is this, we're making an application here, and that's this. Uh, the fourth prescription. Pleasing God is more important than pleasing people. The one who healed, healed me told me to do this. And for you and I, the one who saved me told me to do this. The one who, who died for me and rose again from the dead told me to live this way. Told me to do what his word says. Told me not to do these things, to live differently. Okay? And so th there will always be people who will be unhappy with you when you do that. Sometimes it'll be a very low-grade unhappiness. Sometimes it might be an explosive unhappiness. But this is just important for all areas of our life. Pleasing God is more important than pleasing people. You know, the... Uh, in Proverbs, it says the fear of man is a snare. The fear of man. In other words, when we worry more about what people think than what God thinks, it's a trap. It's always going to produce problems in your life. Because what you're doing is you are putting these people in God's place, right? They come before God. So we're putting people in God's place. People make lousy gods. Even you. If someone else wants to make you their God, you make a lousy God. So why would we do that? Why would we put people in the place of God? Well, you know, we're worried about what they think. We're worried about, we're really just trying to protect ourselves from feeling hurt. Um, well, let me say this. Any, anything or anyone that, that you make a God in your life will become a curse in your life. All right? This means that if you make your husband or your wife a God in your life, they will become a curse in your life. If you make money your God, it will become a curse to you. If you make uh, your reputation your God, it will become a curse to you. Just mark it down. It will not work for you. It will always work against you. Uh, choosing to please people instead of God will cost you things you can't afford to spend. And when you have to choose, so when you have to choose between pleasing the Lord and pleasing people, please the Lord. Don't say no to God so you can say yes to people. Always say yes to God and let the chips fall where they may. God will take care of you. God will hold you up. God will enable you. 
even if it brings persecution, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. All right, great is their reward in heaven. God will take care of us. All right, so let's look, and we'll finish up here. Verse 14, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple, which I like that, that Jesus seemed to be looking for him and found him. Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Um, and the Greek language here, sin no more, means stop sinning. So he, was, he had some kind of sin issue in his life. We don't know what it was. And some people say, oh, this is why he was sick, right? This is why he wasn't able. But really, there's no direct connection here. He's had 38 years of life to live here. And apparently, and we don't know what it was. We don't know if his sin was that he was trying to please people. We don't know if his sin was that he was jealous of others who had a different life. We don't know if his sin was anger, anger against God, maybe. We don't know if his sin was lust. We don't know if his sin was greed. We don't know. But there's something in his life that is an ongoing issue for him. And Jesus says, look, you've been made well. Stop sinning. Something worse could happen in your life. And what I want you to see is this. That, I mean, sin, well, I'll talk more about this in a moment. Here's the prescription. I need to learn to hate sin, especially mine. I need to learn to hate sin. Hate, that's a strong word, right? I need to learn to hate sin. I need to learn to see what sin does in our lives. Hebrews warns us not to be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful to us. Sin, James says, sin when it is full grown brings forth death. All the crud and garbage and ugliness that goes along with spiritual death, that's what sin brings into your life. Now, now why are we even saying this? Well, because the idea is that we tend to think that sometimes sinning is how to deal with the problem. You know, we... We justify why we aren't doing what God says. We sin, and it makes the problem worse. Um, you know, this is where sometimes the sin is, I, I want to forget about this problem, so I'm just going to have an extra drink here. Maybe two. Right? And people end up with addiction problems, trying to deal with their problem. It never helps. Sin never makes things better. Can you get that in there? Tell yourself that. Sin never makes things better. The next time you're in the middle of this problem, you're looking at it, and you, there's a sinful, and it will come. It will come, the sinful temptation. Respond to it this way. Please yourself this way. Deal with the boredom this way. Deal with the anger this way. All sinful ways to, to respond. It will never make it better. It only makes your problems worse. And here's what it is. Sin will lie to you. It's deceitful. It will lie to you on the front end, and it will lie to you on the back end. On the front end, it's going to say, look, this may not solve your problem, but it sure is going to make you feel better. Or, oh, this will solve your problems. <laughs> Whatever it is, right? It's going to lie to you on the front end. And then after you sinned, and now you're saying, you know, you're looking at yourself, what have I done? Sin will lie to you on the back end and say, see, that is really the way you are. You deserve every bit of this problem that you're experiencing. Do you see how? And how has it made it better? It hasn't. It has made it worse. 
So confront your sin. Be honest about it. When appropriate, be open about it with somebody. Uh, challenge it in your life. Make changes in your life. Get help with it. So these five prescriptions, truths that we need to embrace and, and live by. The Lord knows me and loves me in spite of my mess. I desperately need the Lord to work in my life. I can do what the Lord says. Pleasing God is more important than pleasing people. And finally, I need to learn to hate sin, especially mine. We're going to partake of the Lord's Supper here in just a moment, and then we have a song to sing before we dismiss. This is our last worship service in 2019. It's our last time to worship the Lord. So let's finish up this worship service well by opening up our hearts to the Lord here, taking to heart very much the meaning of the Lord's Supper. Let's pray first here. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this wonderful story of how your son healed this man. Thank you for the lessons that are there for us to learn. I pray, Father, we take these truths to heart. We'd let your Spirit speak them to our hearts and minds again and again. And we'd make choices that would honor and glorify you, choices that would be worthy of what you've called us to, choices that are based on your truth. As we do come to the end of this year, Lord, we thank you for your working in our lives, the problems that we face, the things that you're doing. Oh God, help us to honor you by trusting you and responding well to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, gentlemen, if you're, those of you who are serving the Lord's Supper, if you want to come down here. If you're here today and, and, and this Lord's Supper thing is a new to, thing to you and you don't feel like participating, that's okay. Uh, don't feel like you have to at all. Um, what this is, is a symbol, a symbol of what God has done for us, okay? Uh, the bread, and we'll talk more about it, but it's a symbol of Jesus' body dying on the cross for us. The, blood, the, the, the juice is a symbol of his blood shed for us. And so these things are symbolic. They don't, eating these things don't make us holy. But the hard attitude we come to God about it makes a huge difference. And so right now, let's just for a moment, let's just bow our heads, okay? And, and right now, just anything in your life that you just know isn't right and that God is saying, come on, we need to do something about it. Would you just confess that to him now? He promises to forgive you when you do. Let's just do that right now. Father, thank you that you forgive us when we openly and honestly confess to you. I pray as we partake of these symbols now, Lord, that you would stir our hearts and minds about it, what you've done for us and why it matters so much. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.